Minnesota State Supreme Court Justice Gordon Moore. Gordon, I have to apologize. This is the uh, the fourth edition of Legal Talk. We still don't have a good intro for for the show yet. Yeah, where's that bumper music, Rich? I'm I'm working on it, man. Right. I really I really am. <laughs> Got to sound kind of martial and sort of serious. Exactly, you know, right. something solemnish, you right. know, or or at least you know something right. that's serious. It's it's important. And uh, we are going to be joined today by uh, uh, KYMN uh, interim news director until tomorrow, uh, Kate Kelly. Good morning, Kate, as well. Good morning. Well, Gordon, before we get into, uh, I want to talk to you about sentencing today because I've got a lot of questions. Uh, they, it, something came up last week, and I, I uh, it 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 uh, kind of trips some things I, I want to ask you about. But what's um what's been going? I mean, you guys are on break right now, but there have been some pretty interesting uh, decisions that that you folks in the Supreme Court reached uh, that were released this past. Yeah, couple of weeks. we're our, our term ended um, as far as oral arguments go on in June, and so right now the uh, scramble is to get our opinions finished, and we're working on that. And there was a a bunch of them released last Wednesday, including a couple of couple of pretty important opinions. I, I think uh, the one regarding sex assault counselor records, uh, the Hope Coalition case, is a really important one. I think. Um, I would encourage everybody to go to the uh, state court website and look for Supreme Court opinions. Oftentimes, the cases that involve hard hard issues, hard decisions, have separate writings, and those do tend to be um, the cases that take the longest to finish. And so, we're still working on a number of them. But uh, yeah, we're we're getting we're getting through them. Uh, it's I'd say as opposed to last year, we probably have a few. Um, fewer unanimous decisions, mm-hmm. fewer decisions where we had a lot of consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got some um, other opinions coming out pretty soon that will be important, and people okay. need to, to to look for those. Good, important. Now, the the, the sexual assault uh, privacy decision. Um, it just seems to me that uh, that 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 that's a a no brainer, but. You guys did actually have to rule on something fairly specific about that, oh, didn't very, you? Oh, very much so. I mean, a defendant has a constitutional right, obviously, to a, a <clears throat> due process and a fair trial. Sure. And if there are relevant documents, records that would that would be helpful for the defendant and mm-hmm. in, in defense, generally speaking, the defendant has a right to those. But the question is, when you have privileged documents, medical records, Counseling records, therapist records, uh, child uh, protection invest- investigative records, those are incredibly sensitive issues that deserve protection. And the legislature has created specific privileges mm-hmm. uh, in terms of prohibiting those from being disseminated. Uh, in some cases, judges order what's called an in-camera or an in-chambers review to look at documents that are claimed to be helpful to do a look at them and make a determination of whether in fact they should be released to the defendant do they have any bearing on the guilt or innocence or a potential defense in the case of the sex assault records the court unanimously ruled that the legislature meant what it said privilege is absolute and it can't be pierced there's no in-camera review of those records people that are going to a sex assault counselor for you know, really intimate and important mm-hmm. discussions after a horrible event uh, should be able to go to those appointments without having to worry that what they say is going to be right. put pulled apart later in court. Right, right. And that's what you guys now have ruled. So that's We have. And so, it. you know, obviously district court judges and other contexts like medical records, uh, 
you know, some of the things we had talked about a minute ago, the district court judges will have to, in those cases, still continue to look at them on a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. and determine whether there is a balance that is in favor of the defendant getting some limited release of otherwise privileged documents. But mm-hmm. the sex assault counselor records are um, unique. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So last week, um, I had uh, the privilege of, of talking with uh, Rice County Attorney John Fossum about um, a case that um, uh, is involves a um, uh, a man died in a, a, at the hands of another man in a road rage case, and it's it's a really it's a it, it's a really awful situation. And one of the things that uh, uh, County Attorney County Attorney Fossum said was that he would be seeking an enhanced sentence on this case, which I will be honest, I'd never even heard the term before. And uh, I guess what that means is that he's looking for uh, a sentence that would be over and above the uh, the sentence, the, the guidelines uh, that, that, they, these, uh, that the judge will be uh, using. And it got, to, got me to thinking, and this actually came up uh, with something else too. Sentencing, I mean, I don't know that there's a, 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 a higher responsibility that a, a judge has than, than sentencing. And I, I, I want to talk today about, A, how are um, sentence guidelines established? And B, how does a judge, like a district court judge, um, when, when there's a case before him that doesn't have the guidelines, how does that person go, out, go about determining what, what it was a proper sentence and, and, and I, which I'm, you know, you've got a, <laughs> a great amount of experience with. So, right. Yeah. But first you sit on the sentencing guidelines commission, don't you? I do. I'm one of the chief justices, three appointees. The sentencing guidelines commission is appointed by the governor and by the chief justice. There are 11 members. The chief justice appoints a, a representative from the Supreme court, court of appeals and district court. The governor appoints the remainder of the commission. Uh, They're comprised of appointments that represent law enforcement, the public defender, county attorney, Department of Corrections commissioner, um, a crime victim, uh, a probation officer, and um, two other public members, and including the chair. And what the Guidelines Commission was established to do in the early 80s was to determine what presumptive sentences should be for felony crimes. Mm -hmm. Now, to step back for just a second, before we get too deep in the mm-hmm. weeds here, people need to realize that the legislature determines what the maximum sentences are for crimes that are classified in statute. And they're petty misdemeanors, misdemeanors, and gross misdemeanors, and felonies. Those are the four levels of offenses in the state. Now, petty misdemeanors are traffic tickets, parking sure. tickets. They aren't crimes. Right. Maximum sentence a judge could impose is a $300 fine. Judge has a lot of discretion. Generally, the fines for those are established by fine and bail schedules, and those are typically payable online. Okay. Misdemeanors carry a maximum penalty of uh, 90 days in jail and a fine of $1,000. Again, most of those 
uh, have now been put on fine and balance schedules. They are a little more serious. So if you get a couple of them, you could potentially be looking at some jail time. Mm -hmm. Usually it's what we call stay jail time. In other words, a sentence that isn't actually imposed or a jail sentence that's not imposed. People are put on probation on conditions that they pay a fine, be of good behavior, and take care of whatever issues they need to deal with. Mm -hmm. A gross misdemeanor is a crime punishable by a fine of up to $3,000 a year in jail. Those are the more serious misdemeanors, like repeat DWI offenses, assaults, things like that. Those do carry the potential of county jail time. Judges have a lot of discretion on gross misdemeanors within those parameters of $3,000 in a year. Finally, we're talking about felony sentences, Mm -hmm. and that's where the questions that you are asking really come up to, because that's where I think people have this sense that judges just, you know, sort of can have unfettered discretion to do whatever they want to do Mm -hmm. on a felony sentence. Mm -hmm. And listeners may read something in the newspaper about a felony sentence and say, boy, that seems really light or that seems really harsh. And what they unfortunately don't know is the background. Right. So the Sentencing Guidelines Commission was, was put together in the early 80s by the state legislature as an advisory body to the legislature on criminal sentencing. It reflects a decision that was made, a policy decision, that sentencing in Minnesota should be determined. In other words, a, an offender should get, should be told at sentencing how much prison time, if any, that person is going to get. Okay. In other states, indeterminate states, the you hear these sentences of you know zero to forty years in the in the penitentiary, and right. basically what that means is that if somebody goes to prison, a parole board at some point in time will determine whether or not they're rehabilitated and should be let out. The problem with that type of scheme is it, as you can imagine, leads to a ton of disparities in sentencing. Mm-hmm. You know what happens in Rice County versus Nobles County or mm-hmm. Kitson County then depends entirely on the judge. And frankly, I think can lead to some really out of whack sentences. The benefit of determinate sentencing, in theory at least, is that everybody knows going into a case what the guidelines say. And those are the sentencing guidelines. It's a chart that basically is determined by looking at criminal history score, prior prior offenses, custody status points, and looking at the severity of the offense. And that's what the Guidelines Commission does. The Guidelines Commission puts... Minnesota's felony level crimes on this chart, and there's a grid, and I actually brought or printed out a copy of it here today. The sentencing guidelines grid uh, put, puts in months the what we call the presumptive sentence for, okay. uh, for an offense. And so let's say, for example, uh, we have a person who is uh, convicted of a felony level welfare fraud charge. No prior criminal history, but a lot of money stolen. $50,000, no prior criminal history. And so under that circumstance, the uh, welfare fraud of over $5,000, no matter how much over, it could be $5,001, it could be $2 million, Mm -hmm. is a level three offense. If, If that person, that defendant has no prior criminal history, they get a zero criminal history score, And so the presumptive sentence, given the severity of the offense and the criminal history score, is 12 months in one day. But the presumption is that is a stayed sentence, meaning that 12-month-in-a-day sentence is not actually imposed. The person is put on probation. The judge has discretion to determine what the conditions and length of probation are up to a point and, um, and potentially could impose some local jail time. 
meaning county jail time. Mm-hmm. But for a sentence of a year and a day or more, that's where the state prison sentence gets involved. And so for the vast majority of offenses, a, an offender gets what are called a presumptive sentence. Mm-hmm. Now, in those cases where a prosecutor thinks there are aggravating factors, and this gets to the question you were raising, mm-hmm. by the way, I obviously can't comment on that particular of case. Not. Of course uh, not. And, and I'm not. Those are very general comments. Right. An aggravating sentence, the guidelines list a number of factors that could be used by the court in increasing a sentence beyond that presumptive grid amount. Okay. And so if the, <clears throat> if a prosecutor believes, for example, that a victim was treated with a particular cruelty or there are other triggering factors, they have to give notice of an intent to seek a, what is called an upward departure or an aggravated sentence that has to be done to give the defense chance to prepare for that. And if the prerequisite for that claim is there, then the jury decides whether or not those aggravating circumstances are there unless the offender stipulates to the aggravating factor circumstances or lets the judge decide. And so that's the only way a judge can can sentence upward outside of this presumptive sentence. Now, sometimes judges will go lower than the presumptive sentence. That's called a downward departure. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are reserved for particular and compelling circumstances where a ju- where a defendant has shown particular what, what we call particular amenity to probation. In other words, you know, the, somebody believes that this person deserves a chance, maybe a second or a third chance, frankly, and yeah. shouldn't go to prison. Right. Um, these sentences can be challenging, and these are the ones that tend to get. Um, appealed and sometimes looked at closely because, you know, the question of whether or not somebody deserves a departure 